Hi and welcome to this Journey to a Dream episode. And by now, if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, you'll know that we're talking to racers about how they got to the start line, what it was that made them want to do what they do. And what we do know is that sometimes things don't always go to plan. You can have a career that is littered with success and it takes one moment that changes things completely. And that is what happened for our guest on today's podcast. I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Dave Moffat, ex-racer, Manx Grand Prix winner, which I'm extremely proud of. Won many championships up at um, Andreas, well, with Andreas racing at Cherby Airfield. I was Cheshire champion, raced in British championships, ACU Star Series, obviously the Manx Grand Prix and TT Southern 100 Northwest. Ulster Grand Prix, so I've got a bit of experience. Take us back then. Where did this passion for road racing start for you? Oh, it began many, many moons ago, early 70s. My dad started racing. He's a, he's a Manxman, born and bred. And his dream was always to participate in the Manx Grand Prix. He managed to buy a bike from Dugdale's in Cheshire and he started racing and that's that that started my my passion for it. So many people who grew up in that environment it really does seem to be passed down the generations. Yeah yeah it does but it's skipped in mine yeah my son I got him a bike for his 16th birthday and yeah he never never enjoyed it and yeah he just put his hands up and said dad I prefer just helping you out yeah racing's not for me. Were you a bit disappointed by that? No no I was quite pleased to be honest because yeah obviously I've seen the uh, the other side of how it can go wrong, but I've seen the highs of how good it can be. But now I was pleased that he didn't feel pressurised, that he had to do it. You know, it was, uh, yeah, his choice and I went with it because then I can spend the money on my racing and not his. <laughs> so there you are, helping your dad out, seeing him realise his dream. I was only five or six, so I just used to get in the back of the van and I used to lie underneath the bikes or sit on them and pretend I was actually racing them. I couldn't reach the bars and the and the, <laughs> and the foot pegs. Yeah, no, I, that really instilled it in me. I'd be up the grandstand um, of an evening. He wouldn't wake me up for morning sessions, but yeah, I used to wake up at like half five, uh, hear the bikes going because me grand used to live in uh, Ashgrove in Pullrose and uh, I'd, I'd pester her to take me down to watch the bikes. Yeah, started out polishing the bike. That was it, cleaning it. I wasn't allowed to touch anything. That would have been a very important job for a little boy though. Absolutely. Oh yeah. You see it now, don't you? It's a a great environment for children. There's a real, there's a community family feel. It it really is, yeah. Yeah, from team to team. It is brilliant to see kids going about on scooters and like walking about obviously looking at bikes and talking and getting excited. It's absolutely phenomenal to see and hopefully that's going to be the future generation that's going to be racing in like 10, 15 years time. Do you remember the first time you actually rode a bike then? Yes. First time I rode a bike, I was five. A little Bambino, it was called. Got it for my birthday. Uh, I had a nickname when I was younger, Stuck Throttle. And uh, yeah, I, the throttle stuck open on me. They didn't. I just went full chat straight into a load of railings and nettles. And yeah, that was a, yeah, that was the start of my <laughs> my experience on bikes. But then I was buying all, all field bikes and everything, ra- racing, ra- not racing around, but riding around on, on those. On private land, of course, I wouldn't ride them on the road. Yeah, and that's that's how I... I started out. I had to go on my cousin's Mako 440 motocross down Tremode. That was an eye-opener. Um, yeah, I certainly, I, I learned then that not every motorbike, you just open the throttle and you just keep it pinned. Yeah, that taught me how to use brakes <laughs> and, and use a bit of sense. And how much support was around at that time for you developing your skills? During that time, I, I was just playing around on the bikes. It was nothing competition-wise or anything. That started when I was 17, 17 and a half. I went to Charlie Mortimer's race school at Alton Park. Yeah, it's going back a good, yeah, 1983. That was. Yeah, I did two sessions there. I was, I was hooked. 
absolutely hooked. So I'd uh, had an accident on a little, I had a little 50 on the road. Um, I got run into by a car. The insurance money I got from that, I used to buy my first race bike, a little RS125. It was ex-Phil Miller. He was a top road racer at the time and he'd used that in British Championships. So I started on that in 1984. So something positive came out of what sounds like it was a pretty traumatic event. Yeah, uh, it was just, could see it happening. I was, um, came up to a T-junction and the car just came to what it just cut across both lanes. So I knew it was going to happen. I just jumped up as soon as he hit it and I went over the bonnet and that was all right. I was I wasn't injured. Um, yeah, he was very apologetic. So the start of competition then, what do you remember about that time? Oh, jeez. Um, right, baptism of fire. Um, again, my me, uh, me stuck throttle park came back into it. Alton Park, it was on the old circuit where you come up to Island Bend and there's a sharp hairpin before Island Bend and it cut out Fulston's as well, which is on the full circuit now. And oh, I was I was fairly handy on this 125 and um, as I call John Corrin, he was um, champion at Aintree and Alton Park Cheshire Club on a RG 250 Gamma and uh, I was sticking with him and came round and the 125 has got a really tall first gear so I slipped the clutch right on the apex and it spun round on me and spat me off and I broke my ankle so I was supposed to be racing on the that was on the Wednesday I was supposed to be racing on the Saturday but obviously I was in the cast for six weeks and I didn't make my debut until the end of it was just before TT yeah, middle middle of May I think it was yeah Alton Park again Alton Park that was me my baptism of fire had struck and um, yeah my dad had lectured me and told me that, that's it you've got to take it easy so I did and I finished something like 26th I think in my first race yeah 26th and 32nd I went in the 250 heat as well in them days it was like uh, it was heats for 250s and 350s sometimes three heats but I was yeah I, I didn't make it through to the final in that one but yeah the 125 I think it was 26th a full grid of about 30, 36 you're talking about your dad there obviously he'd had the dream how did he feel that he really had passed that down to you do you think he was very pleased in one way that i'd taken it up but my mum had always said if anything ever happens to david on your shoulders be it luckily yeah no, no everything's been good um, unfortunately my mum passed away in 1988 and my dad passed away in 2008 but um yeah no everything was yeah sweet nice though that your dad saw some of your really big success yeah yeah unfortunately the, the one thing I, I really do regret is he didn't see me win the Manx you know that would have been the icing on the cake because um I did the first Manx in 86 yeah a bit of a disaster I had issues with a bike I had two DNFs um 87 had um, a carbon fiber Armstrong 250 which is a, a Grand Prix bike that Donnie McLeod had ridden. That was awesome and things were looking really good. I was fastest in practice on the Thursday afternoon and the race just didn't go well at all. Had issues with the bike. I think it was it was it was some somebody had played with it. Um so yeah, it didn't get a finish in that. Then the following year we had uh, EMC that was a sister bike to Brian Reed's. Um yeah, I brought some really, really good bikes and um yeah, that was going well. We were in fourth or fifth, end of the first lap, came in for fuel stop, set off, go off went off down Bray Hill and fuel just gushed all over the place. Well, all that come from so I was covered in fuel and as I went over Balakrai it wheelied as the front wheel came down the fuel cap stayed up I was like surreal moment this what's going on here and um, then it started blowing around the front of the screen I tried to grab it missed it and it shot out on, onto the road I was like oh no and I couldn't brake it's fuel sloshing all over the place I pulled up at Quarry Bends lent the bike against the bales there and run back up the road and luckily it was it's always a glorious day isn't it when you're racing in the in, in the Manx and the uh, sun was shining and I seen this petrol cap in the field glistening through um, the farmer's gate so I had a marshal with me obviously I run, run across the road got it retrieved it started the bike up my dad was signalling for me down the uh, Sulby Bridge and I come down to Sulby Bridge I was absolutely knackered pulled up on the pavement uh, I was out of breath and uh, he said, come on, son, come on, you get a finish, you, you got to get a finish. He didn't realise what had just gone on, all, all the palaver. So with that 
in my mind, I thought, right, that's it. Yeah, we'll go for a finish. So it took me like, three years to get a finish in the Manx. Um, and then the following year, we moved on to the TT with the 125s. They reintroduced 125s. I was doing British Championships at the time, so it was a natural thing to yeah, support the class and off up to the TT. Everybody I speak to, Dave, you just get a real sense of how much of your life this consumes. Oh, oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, obviously, you work as many hours as you can to earn the money, but then in those days on the, with the two strokes, you're spending just as much time, in the, or not as much time, but at least till midnight every night working on the bikes, and then Friday finish work a little bit early, load up and then off racing for the weekend. There's not really much time for anything else, is there? No, there was no time for anything else. That was it, yeah. It was just tinkering with the bikes, trying to get the best out of them and working. Looking back, would you change any of that, do you think? Do you have any regrets about how much time it's taken up? No, not at all. No, it's um, yeah, no, it's a it's a passion that I've thoroughly enjoyed doing right the way through. I went to the TT in 89 and 90, and then I packed in racing in 91. I got married to Karen in 1990. Had our first daughter, Amy, and I was really struggling time-wise to devote to the family and devote to the bike. Yeah, the maintenance wasn't getting done as it should be, and I didn't have the money to put into the bike, so I packed in in 91. How much of a role do you think that sort of family responsibility played in that decision as well? No, 100%. You know, it was, um, yeah, I, I, I've always been, you've got to be 100% dedicated to what you're doing, especially at the age that I was. I was mid-20s then, so, uh, or early 20s. Yeah, I can't give 100%, so, yeah, 100% to the family, and that's what I did till 2005. <laughs> Take us back to that point then. When did you think, I'm going to do it again? 2004. I was at the... Uh, junior race in the Manx. I was at the top of Bagaro watching Tommy Klukas, who, yeah, God rest his soul, he was absolutely, yeah, head and shoulders above a lot of the competition. He'd have gone on to be one of the greats. And, yeah, watching Tommy, and it was just like, wow, oh, this is just phenomenal. I've got to have another go. Um, but my first thoughts were, I'll just go up to Jerby and I'll, I'll get a little 400. Um, at the time, XTT riders couldn't compete in the Manx, and the 400 class had been dropped from the TT. So I was like, right, I get a 400. I've got no temptation to go back road racing. I'll just go circuit racing. I'll just get this, yeah, scratch this itch. Yeah, I went home on eBay. Little RVF 400 was on there. And I was like, ooh, yeah, I quite fancy that. And this was mid-September. And I put a bid on it. I won it. And it turned out the fella had actually used it in the Manx. And he said, oh, I've known that. You could have come and picked it up. I thought he was in Cheshire. Turns out he was in Kent. So me and uh, Naomi, my youngest daughter, we ended up jumping in the van and went across and, yeah, picked this bike up. And Karen said, to me, uh, well, what are you got to do? You bought the bike now. So, well, really, I don't know. I don't, I'd never, I'd not ridden a bike in all that time since I packed in. I thought I'll have a look and look, look in Bike Sport News. I looked in there and there was entries were open for the Anglesey Grand. So I thought, right, I'll go across. Nobody will know me there. I'm sure all the all the older people will be uh, finished and whatnot, and I'll not make a fool of myself coming over here, like, racing over here. And anyway, things went brilliant. Qualified for the A final and. I think I finished fifth, I think, in that race. So that was it, the bug would bitten again. So and that was the end of 2004, then 2005, started up at Jerby. And then, yeah, that was it. I was in hook, line and sinker again. And was there any resistance, is possibly the wrong word, but did Karen have any no, reservations? No, she fully, fully supported me, which was yeah, really, really good. I mean, without that support, without the support of the family, there's no way I'd have, I'd have gone ahead with it. The understanding that needs to come from the family around you yeah, yeah. is well, immense. I'd, I'd said, well, what we'll do, we'll go away, we'll do some racing across, got a caravan. And yeah, it was just like a little family holiday, mini, mini holidays. Yeah, probably once, no, no I'm telling right there, I was going to say once, <laughs> once a month, but now it's probably every couple of months we'd be, we'd be across and racing and yeah, having a ball and yeah, brilliant times, barbecues, beers wasn't serious um, it was just great fun days 
And the return then to road racing over here, what do you remember about that first time on the start line? Oh, God. Um, yeah, coming, coming back to the Manx. I, I, I get very nervous before a race. I, there are people that are really blasé and they're, they're finally I get no um, no nerves whatsoever. No, I, I was the opposite. You know, I feel very weak and as you're walking from the paddock up into the holding area, thinking, what the hell am I doing this for? And then like Karen never came into the holding area with me. And then once I'm in the holding area, yeah, mine switches on fire the bike up and that's it all those thoughts are gone and you're just buzzing then let's get down Grand Country Road Was there ever a point where those feelings were so strong that actually you thought no I can't do it? No no because I've ever since I first started racing I used to I actually used to be violently sick before a meeting yeah, on the way to a meeting loads of times yeah that had happened and then it got to the stage that mind wise if I didn't get that feeling of wanting to be sick thinking I'm not switched on enough obviously in the later years that's that's all all, all gone by the by yeah, but you still get the buzz you know you still get the uh, yeah the adrenaline rush is just phenomenal and how did it work in terms of once you made that return that work life motor racing yeah, balance yeah no it was to- totally different you know it was just a relaxed um, thing where I could go and race the bike at the weekend take the family with me and we were just having a yeah a, a brilliant time Sounds like the ideal sort of world, doesn't oh, it? Oh, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, and say with work, yeah, I've always liked to think work work hard, play hard, and that's that's what we did. Did you race every year back again? Yeah, well, I started in 2005. I was five, six, seven. Well, actually, in 2007, we went over to the northwest. Yeah, and 2008. But yeah, the Manx, I started in 2008, 9, 10. Won it in 11, then off to, onto the TT in 12. 2011 then such a momentous occasion and you say obviously some real regret that your dad couldn't see that but can you remember that feeling of standing on the podium oh yeah oh yeah like it was yeah you never you'd never never forget that that was just incredible and going back to the last lap it was to and froing there was a lad on the 250 uh, phil whose bike was a lot faster than the 650 that i was on so down the bottom he was making up ground on me um and then it was wet up over the mountain and I was just riding it like it was dry. On the parts that I knew where they'd done a lot of stone chippings, so where they'd done that, I knew that the water would be sitting down and the stones were poking up, so I got plenty of grip. But I did get caught out at the, uh, the 32nd. The first lap it was dry, second lap it was wet, and it was like puddled wet. It had really, yeah, yeah, the heavens had opened, and I come through, bike went sideways. I thought it was off down the, down the side of the mountain, and uh, somehow, phew, uh, somehow I stayed on, um, stayed on the tarmac, and came down into Windy Corner, Still in fifth gear and just wobble down there and then it's like, right, get your head into gear. You know, that's it, that's past, there's nothing you can do about it. And then, yeah, concentrate on the job. So, yeah, got got going again. But then, yeah, the last lap, coming out of Windy, I just flicked back to, like, the second lap and thinking, you know, you're about to realise your dream here. And I started getting a little bit teary. And it's like, switch on, come on, you know, you've still got three miles to go. Don't make any mistakes now. And, and did you yeah, know the mate. moment you crossed the finish line that you'd done it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd had a board um, as a come out of the bungalow and it was just, yeah, it's... Yeah, the, the mind starts going then. It's just, well, wow. Well, it's a childhood dream. You know, it's something I've always wanted from, since being a kid. And then, obviously, when I packed in in, in 91, obviously, yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, but, yeah, it's, for that to actually, yeah, come about, it was just amazing. And the feeling of, yeah, being on the podium was just incredible. And the Isle of Man loves somebody from the Isle of Man oh, up on there, yeah, don't they? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, it's some party. My God, yeah. Oh, was it some party? That's probably another in the podcast, the Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> there was some beer drunk that night. <laughs> I bet there was. Having realised that dream then back in 2011, did you ever think, right, OK, I've done it, that's enough? No, I was still 
really enjoying I was really enjoying the racing uh, one of my sponsors um, Patricia Wild Opticians they'd bought the bike for me off from JHS they, they, Patricia said like you know what's what's going to be the best thing for you um, so I said well this bike from JHS which I got um, and then James from JHS obviously he was made up it gave him really good publicity that his bike had won the Manx and uh, he said right I'll build you a bike for the TT so as long as I wanted to race his bikes um, yeah, there was always a bike there which was like yeah yeah phenomenal yeah and uh, it took any stress or worry on bike prep off me I could just concentrate on that and that's what he said you know you don't touch this bike I mean I've got it was James and his, his son William um, he said we look after the bike and that's it you just ride it brilliant so if we fast forward to today Dave you've obviously arrived here you are still on a pair of crutches yeah and this follows an incident last year I mean I don't want to no. talk about things that you don't want to talk about but how much of what happened do you remember all of it all of it, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't knocked out. I didn't bang my head. The helmet was absolutely perfect, even though it was cut off. The chin strap was cut. There was not a mark on the helmet. Yeah, no, it's a little bit of rider error, pushing a little bit too hard. And, yeah, the bikes went out of control. Uh, I thought I'd get it under control, as you'd always do, but no, I'd run out of road and straight into the banking. Where were you? Um, going into Laurel Bank 2 or 1. Uh, I'm not sure which way they are. Coming into the right-hander. So it's um, on the on the approach. Came through the left, um, hit the brakes. The bike back end came up in the air. When it came down, I expected it to come down on the left hand side, so I could tip into the right. But it didn't. Came down on the right and sent me to the left. And I was already on the left hand side on the white line, and there's no room for yeah run, run off there. And it's just it's straight into the banking. I remember lying on the floor. Well, I thought I was still I thought I was still on the bike, but I wasn't. I was lying on the floor, um, thinking I can't stand this pain much longer. Um, and I must have blacked out and then came round and, um, yeah, in and out of consciousness a little bit there. And I made a comment to um, uh, Woody, Jonathan Woodward, who was the, uh, the TMA who came on site. And I didn't even ask about the bike. Normally, you know, we ask about the bike. And I just said, uh, I don't think I'll be out for the next session, but I think the one after I'll make it. <laughs> obviously not realising how serious I was. I was struggling to breathe, but I was comfortable. Obviously, they gave me yeah, medication to put me at ease. And I must say a big shout out to the uh, the marshals and the doctors. Without them, I wouldn't be here. And that's when you see the other side of the sport. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, yeah, I've seen a lot of what goes in over the years, behind the scenes, uh, with being involved with Andrea's racing, but not on the uh, not on the medical side. I mean, what they do, and I've met up, actually met up with the uh, the doctor who was on the air ambulance at the Manx. Yeah, um, yeah, met up with him on the on the Thursday of what should have been Manx Grand Prix full race week. Yeah, met up with him, and that was that was really good. How important was it for you to pass on how grateful you were? Oh, absolutely mega important. Um, I actually went to Laurel Bank um, on the anniversary of the crash and took some cakes down for the marshals to thank them. Yeah, and what they do, they, without them, we wouldn't be racing. When it comes to it and things like that, incidents like that happen, yeah, God, I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here without them. And you are still clearly dealing with the physical aftermath of that. How are things now? It's like Groundhog Day. Three steps forward, two steps back, and then one to the side. I've still got operations coming up on my leg. Um, it's going to have to be rebroken in February or March. Have a cage on it for four to six months, um, and then hopefully I can discard the crutches after that, and then they can sort my shoulder out. And once I've got that sorted, maybe twelve months down the line, I, I need a full knee replacement. So I've still got I've got loads of metal in me as well. You know, it's I'd never had um, any metal work in me, and yeah, I broke twenty-one bones. Twenty-one so, bones. Twenty-one bones. Yeah, 
yeah, his ankle, tib, fib, femur, um, two vertebrae, 11 ribs, uh, radius, ulna, and scapula. Blimey, heck, Dave. I just, mm, I remember uh, there was some videos, weren't there, that you did on um, yes, social media. Yeah. And I think race fans were so relieved to see you. And I suppose the question I have as somebody who's outside the sport is like, how do you begin to pick yourself up after that? But still, as we'll, we'll talk about your, your involvement mm. now in, in racing, but still want to be so involved in it. Obviously, I, well, I have dark days um, where you think, you know, knowing what am I, what am I doing? But, you know, the, the sport has gave me so much enjoyment and I want to put back into it, really do. And, you know, being, being in, the, in the hospital, my sole thing was, I am going to get out of here. You know, I want to get out of here. I mean, at first, God, this didn't make everyone laugh. Um, I'm normally like about between 78 and 82 kilos and uh, they put me in this sling and, and weighed me and I looked up. I, obviously, I was still high on ketamine or whatever and uh, it read 66 kilos. And I said, oh, I said, your scales are knackered. <laughs> and uh, it's only three and a half, four weeks after post-accident and I lost all that weight. No strength whatsoever. Um, and when I came back to Nobles, the staff there were absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they got me up out of bed and I had to stand on... I can't remember the name of the thing, um, but yeah, I had to stand up, hold on to this stick. I had no strength in my legs, all my, all my body, I was shaking and weak, but yeah, they got me, the physio team there got me got me through it and yeah, got me back up on my feet after a few weeks. How um, long were you in hospital for, do you know? Three months. Wow. Yeah, three months. I ended up in uh, Ramsey Cottage, which was absolutely phenomenal. And a big shout out to the chef there, because the food is brilliant. It's restaurant quality. <laughs> but yeah, don't be doing what I did just to go and sample the food. <laughs> How did your family cope with all of this, Dave? Oh God, I really put them through the through the mill. Obviously, there was really bad days, um, and Karen had a phone call probably ten days post accident and told she was told, it's half three in the morning, told to prepare herself for the worst. Didn't think it was. Yeah, didn't think I was going to make it. Um, but unfortunately, uh, COVID had, um, had had been on the uh, been rife obviously the year before, and uh, they'd learnt. Um, to turn people, I, I had uh, pneumonia, I contracted pneumonia and sepsis, and um, they learned turning COVID patients over. They had a far better success rate of uh, put, pulling through it, and they did it with me. And lo and behold, it worked. Um, yeah, so it had gone from yeah ninety nine percent yeah not going to make it to yeah here I am. How amazing! Mm, yeah. And I don't think I suppose in this situation you kind of realise just what you've all been through until you look back? No, no. Um, well, when I came out of hospital, um, probably after, just after last Christmas, obviously they've got the family have recorded um, all the things that they had with the doctors and, yeah, when I listened to them and, like, we you know, what I'd what put them through. It's just amazing that they're still with me. <laughs> I said, sod off. <laughs> Here we are then. We're coming to the end of... 2023 and we're looking ahead to next year and I mentioned your involvement and you talked about the Andreas Racing Association I mean what they do to support the the Manx talent we have over here is incredible why was it so important for you to be involved the way you are now well I've been riders rep since 2010 with uh, with Andreas Um, yeah it's been we've been through the mill a little bit and things have turned around it's just you know you see these young especially younger lads now that are coming through a 13 14 year old and i see the buzz and the excitement that that's showing on their face mirrors exactly what how i was 
and yeah that that inspires me to to keep on going and the same with other lads you know that do do a few track days um, and then decide oh, I'll go to race school so they go to race school with um, Gary Radcliffe and Dave Bosendorfer and Johnny Hickenbottom um, yeah and then they come through into into racing and my lord this we're honestly it's just un, un, incredible the amount of racing talent we've got over here why is that, do you think? Is it because, I mean, we pride ourselves being the home of motor racing. Is it just the perfect ground for, for that it, training? I, I think it is, yeah. Seeing, like the, obviously, the Southern, the Manx and the TT, especially the, uh, the the success that we've had recently, it's spurring a lot of, a lot of youngsters on. And I sometimes wonder if we realise just how much talent there actually is over here. I don't think we do, really. We really don't. You know, I've got quite a list of like new lads that have come on the scene, um, like Grant Thompson. He's just got rid of his novice jacket and he's pushing Ryan Kringle. Yeah, and it's just unbelievable to see you know, a, 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 a lad so young and so early in his career to be doing so well. And he's safe with it as well. And he loves his racing, really shows in his results. You know, he goes across and he's, he's winning at Anglesey, Cadwell Park, Darlymore. He's just, yeah, incredible to see. You know, that, that's that's just one of them. And then we've got Kyle Case, Casement, who won the 600 Championship over here this year. He's another one to watch. Yeah, obviously, we've got Ryan and Jamie Kringle. And then there's two fellas that we should talk about from the Manx, Marcus Simpson and Joey Urtley. You know, they've, they've come through the ranks and actually helped mentor uh, Marcus, yeah, to start out with, and yeah, within three seasons, look what he's doing. It's just incredible, and the same with Joe. You know, and Joe's gone over to Mexico, never seen the place. Obviously, never seen the place. And he's second on the, yeah, oh my lord, it's just yeah. Aaron Redmond, Sean Crone, and Alex Galloway, who are, who are our junior riders, who are doing absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, they've they've come on from wobbling round learning the way around to actually being serious serious competitors uh, and me other nephew Brian um, who races up at Jerby he won the lightweight championship but he was being pushed towards the end of the season by Aaron Aaron was right on him you know there's only like a tenth of a second between them coming across the line isn't so Aaron 15 yeah yeah yeah, you know, so and yeah, and Aaron has actually got an Aprilia 660 for next year, and yeah, it's going to be great. Now, obviously, he's, he'll take his time learning. He's got his dad Tony, who's a very experienced rider, um, and he's actually junior riders representative, and he's uh, mentoring all all the young lads. So it's yeah, that is absolutely phenomenal to see. Another one to mention is um, Jim and Ben Gale, who are our sidecar champions. They've stuck at it, and again, come from like nothing. Uh, obviously, the the dad who has helped them and mentored them, they're our champions for this year. I don't know what the thing is behind this, Dave, but I sometimes think that they are so hugely talented, but they're incredibly modest about it. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. see them yeah. no, self-proclaiming no, at of, all. None of them brag. Take Ryan Kringle. He's six times, six times Ironman Centre champion, and he's done it racing motocross as well and winning the motocross Centre championship. And I think he's won that two or three times as well. Just you know, yeah, no, no bragging, no, no, nothing. No, just get on with it. I love me racing. He loves his bikes, and it's just, yeah, it's incredible. And it, that, that's right the way through. You know, it's, it's great. So, what is Dave the mentor like then? What sort of advice do you give? Enjoy what you're doing. You know, you've got to have the passion to do it. Do everything that you can to the best of your ability. Yeah, and just, yeah, and enjoy is the, the most important part of it. You know, if you're not enjoying it, then just walk away. Yeah, don't force anything. And from your point of view. Are there any regrets looking back? No, no. Not even given what happened last year? Even given what happened in 22. Um, well, we had, I'd, I'd ordered tyres and the tyres had turned up were the wrong size. Um, so I had to get another wheel. The wheel actually turned up the day after the crash. So I was running with, yeah, the wrong tyres on the wrong rim. But 
Yeah, apart from that, no, it's no, it's it's happened. Um, I've got to move on. I can't look back on that and say, you know, uh, it should have been this and I should have done that. It's happened. I've got to, I've got to move on from it. Although I do get dark days when it's like, oh, you know, it's yeah, it, it can be really tough. But yeah, on the on the positives. And being so hugely involved in seeing the progress, I mean, of some of the people that oh, you've yeah, mentioned yeah, must be yeah. brilliant. Oh, absolutely. Well, me uh, my nephew, he actually did his first Manx, so he's third generation of Moffat. To, to race like obviously there was my dad I've raced my brother actually raced as well young Chris's father and then Chris actually rode well it's a bit like Trigger's broom he rode my bike that I crashed on in the Manx yeah unfortunately it broke down but nah he was he was going really well and again with, with Chris I, I mentored him and to see his face after that first lap you know the first first two laps that he did on his own I said like just go out, enjoy. If you don't like it, pull in. And if there's any concerns, pulling at the end of the first lap, where he went straight through on the first lap and came in, a big beaming smile on his face. And I'm sure you've you've seen it when they come in and take the helmet off. The first few words out of the mouth, you can't understand them. Oh, it's phenomenal to see. It's brilliant. And that's, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. That adrenaline just takes over, doesn't it? And I think it's it's hard to describe unless you actually see it. Yeah, well, your mind's doing 200 mile an hour. Um, yeah, and your mouth is a little bit behind it. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny. Yeah, we've got a recording of that. And yeah, Chris, look out. <laughs> as I say, we are sort of approaching Christmas as we're talking now, Dave. And typically, I guess, for a motorcycle racer, it's a hard time of year, isn't it? It is, it is, yeah. Um, yeah obviously, the season's passed and you're looking forward to the next season, but there's a lull in between. Uh, nowadays, the, the lads are a lot more switched on where they'll focus on training. Uh, they'll get themselves really, really fit, mind and body, through the winter and ready for spring and you know, start of the season. And obviously, once January is over, um, yeah, it's, it's it's right on you. So they'll be prepping the bikes, getting the, getting all, all the go-faster goodies and any any bits that they need. And in terms of, of the Andreas Racing Association, what do the next few months look like for them? Yeah, good. Good, yeah, we're busy. We've got our dates planned, which are on the website. We'll have a few uh, work party days, um, just to sort of few things out up there. It's all looking good. Everything's in place. And if there's someone listening who thinks that maybe they'd like to, to get involved in the association, maybe see what happens up there, how welcoming is it, would you say? Oh, welcomed with open arms. Yeah, every, everybody's welcome up there. Yeah, just come down, have a look. Yeah, see, see what you think. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, it was interesting, actually. A couple of lads did the... Recovery truck uh, for the endurance, and uh, well, Blake Kelly was was one of them. And Blake said uh, he never knew exactly what went into uh, running running the meeting and and how much work goes on. And he said, "I'll never moan again." <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it is. Uh, people probably think that like a racer, you prepare your bike, you, you rock up on the day, and that's it. You know, off you go. You think that that happens. Um, in the race office well but it doesn't the girls are planning for months months and well they've, they've actually got everything in, in place now for uh, next year and then they'll have all your entries sorted and yes yes Liz will be uh, shouting and bowling in the office and Val will be baking cakes so yes cakes are yeah she's um, yeah, a very good cake baker from your point of view is it the only association you're involved with no i've i've started uh, helping out with uh, tt riders association i got invited onto the committee in august and then in september i was asked if i'd like to become secretary which yeah i thought i've got a lot of time on my hands i can't do anything else so i thought it's putting something back into it yeah yeah i'll do that and then you realize just what is involved and francis thorpe my word, she should be an MBE. You know the the amount of work that she's put in over the last thirty six years into the TTRA um, is just absolutely incredible. For people who might not be familiar with it, can you give us a, a brief outline of what they do? Yeah, TTRA is um, 
essentially set up to help riders and families, injured riders and families, um, and also bereaved. Yeah, it's a fantastic charity. Um, obviously, a charity set up on the on the island um, with trustees. So it's yeah, we uh, obviously tirelessly work in the background. as friends of TT Riders Association as well, who do fundraising as well as the TT Riders Association. Um, put events on throughout the year, and there's collection tubs that are around in quite a lot of hostelries and um, shops. So any loose change, if you could just pop it in, it really does make a difference. Well, it sounds like you're going to have your hands full over the next few months. We wish you all the very best with uh, the next operations and no doubt we'll see you on the sidelines in 2024, will we? Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I'll be up there at Jerby. Um, yeah, even in me, um, if you like, I'll be yeah, I'll be mooching about. But I mean, I've, I've, I'm only normally up, up there for a couple of hours. I get drained quite easy and then yeah, that's it. I'll, I'll silter off into the uh, back home. It's that um, need, I guess, to just listen to your body at the moment, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've learned that. Um, I had to, uh, obviously at first, when I first came out of hospital, I was I had no energy whatsoever. But I've built that up. Um, and then you start thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this. And oh, no, you can't. No, you can't. Oh, and it's a sideline on something else that I've got. Um, I've got central sleep apnea, which is um, when, I, when I crashed, my brain is pushed forward. And it's, anyway, it, it ended up when I'm, when I'm asleep, it forgets to breathe. So I have to have a, a machine. So I've had a CPAP machine, um, which didn't work. It did help, um, but I've moved on to a, an ASV machine, which has been phenomenal. And my energy levels now are, are, are coming back, which is good. So I'm getting oxygen throughout the night, and I'm hoping that everything will start healing a lot better and quicker. Honestly, so. you are incredible. We're talking about people who don't sort of brag about themselves, but you're such an inspiration for what determination does. It was my mistake. My mistake. You've got to get on with it. Dave, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have a story that you'd like to tell, please do get in touch. You can find my email, bethespy at manxradio.com, on the page. And until next time, bye-bye.